This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis, or just listen if you want. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to start reading from verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will surely... Uh, uh, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Good job, Donna. She wasn't sure she'd make it through 11 verses. That's what tenacity gets you. The world changer, Donna. I want to speak to you this morning about the power of words. I want to speak about the power of words. If there's one thing that technology has done, is it's given everybody a megaphone. Everybody has the opportunity to be able to express their voice and express their opinion. And I think very often people speak before they think. People exercise the right to open their flap without actually thinking about the consequence of what's coming out. If we really understand and have an appreciation, if we value the potency and the power of what comes out of our mouth, we may actually exercise a little bit more restraint. People are in an interesting place because when we have access to things, there are certain paradigms and people who begin to recognize the value of words and its ability to affect realities. Governments use it. Politicians use it. That's what propaganda is all about. Propaganda is all, if I can use my words and I can speak to you, if I can plant something in your life, I can create a reality in your life that, that can keep you in a place that I want you to be. Bullying is all about using your words outside of a physical context to create a reality for people that's oppressive. We use words with regularity, and words are powerful. Sometimes we don't always recognize when we're coming face to face with the consequences of words, but it always extends and offers an invitation to us. There are people maybe doing something inconsequential. You're walking along and suddenly you do something which is a mishap. And you, you drop something and it falls and break, breaks. And you living from the reality that I had an accident. But all of a sudden somebody looks at you and says, you know what? You are so silly. You are so clumsy. 
I was living from a reality. I was living from a paradigm that said, you know what, I made a mistake. But somebody spoke something into the situation, and in that moment, what was afforded to me was the opportunity to entertain an idea, to entertain a reality that it wasn't an accident. Actually, actually I'm a clumsy person. Words are powerful because words change paradigms. Why do people pay a fortune to go to psychologists and psychiatrists? It's not because they're lying there for their rest and relaxation. Why? Because what they're saying is, I'm bringing you my problems. I'm bringing you my issues. I'm coming to see you because I recognize the fact that I'm stuck in a reality where my marriage won't get me to where I want it to be. It's leaving me in a place where I'm unhappy and I'm unfulfilled because I'm dealing with financial issues in my life and I don't know how to cope with these things because there are things that are tormenting me and there's a reality that I'm living from and I feel such a sense and a deep sense of unhappiness. What are they asking? They're saying to me, speak to me. Create a new reality for me so that what I can do is I have the opportunity to be able to address my current reality and adjust where I am so that I can step out of where I am into something more expansive or you can give me something so that I can step totally out of my reality into a new one. Words are consequential. Words are important. Words carry weightiness. What's important, I believe, is that God always wants for his word to find traction in our life. God's very pragmatic in the way that he deals with us. I believe that. And I think any time that we get together with God, he's always going to look for opportunities to take things of him and impart it to us in a way that it makes meaningful contributions to our life and it adjusts and shifts our life forward. Words are important. Words are consequential. Words are weighty. So we need to consider our words before we just go ahead and and use them. Um, Just give me a minute. Let's go this way. Um, Words create realities to our life. Words create paradigms. And when you find yourself in a paradigm, what you're going to find yourself is paradigms come with boundaries. People find themselves in places where I'm struggling with something in my life right at the moment. And the problem with it is I don't have an answer to my current situation. I don't know what the solution is, but I recognize that the paradigm in which I find myself isn't affording me what it is that I need to be able to grow out of this. What it doesn't afford me is the salvation that I'm looking for. Paradigms come with realities and they come with boundaries. And those things begin to enforce us and leave us in places where we are either enabled to move into new areas or restrict us and inhibit our ability to move into or to go into what we should be moving into. Realities and the collection of realities form our world. If you want to change your life, change your realities. If you want to change your life, change your realities. Because realities are so important and they begin to color for us the roadmap and they really become a marker for us for our life, it's something that is inherently built into us from God. We recognize that because if you go back to Genesis and you have a look at when God created man, the first words that man heard were in Genesis 1, verse 28. Be fruitful, 
multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. The first words that man heard came from the mouth of God. And what it was doing was, it was defining a reality for them. God was sitting saying, I'm going to give you a reality and I want you to understand the paradigm that I want you to live from. It's a paradigm that is defined by blessing and by empowerment. Blessing and empowerment defined what Adam was to live from. And he began living from that space. And he began experiencing what it was to walk into a paradigm that God had created for him. As human beings, we were created to live not only from what we know, but from what's established in our heart. It's important to understand that because in what we've been speaking about over the last few weeks is the value and how consequential our heart is. God looks for us to be a being that operates in unison between head and heart. And so every time God speaks to us, he's not only giving us a blueprint of who he is and what he's about. He's not only inviting us into something new. He's not only extending an invitation to us to sit and say, do you want to walk into my promises? But every word that he gives us comes with revelation of that. Revelation is all about touching not only your head, but also your heart. I'm not only giving you the ability to understand where it is that I want you to take it, but I'm going to make an impartation into your life so that you have the confidence to be able to move into that space. So that you're able to sit and say, fine, God, I believe it. And I thank you for what you've invited me into. The thing about it is it's not something I have to do. You've given me all that it takes to be able to step into what you're inviting me into. It changes our life. It's all very well, God sitting saying to you, you know what? I want you to feel and I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know that you're righteous. Righteousness is great. And you can read the scriptures and you can have a look at it and you can understand the full extent of what Jesus has done for you and why he's provided for you to live as a righteous person. The problem with it is when you're thinking one way but you're feeling another way, there's a dissonance between the two. That's why it becomes important whenever we have discussion with God, whenever he comes and begins to speak into our life, his words come with power because he's not only going to show you his promises, he's not going to only extend an invitation, but what he's going to do is he's going to sit and on the inside of you, make it a posit inside of your heart that's able to fulfill what he's invited you into. I not only know that I am righteous, I feel it. I know I've done some bad stuff, but should I tell you what God has given me? I know that I haven't been perfect, but should I tell you what God has given me? Why? Because his words come not only to change our reality, but for the fulfillment of that reality to be realized. The challenge we have with so many people that they're stuck right at the moment in a paradigm. They find themselves caught in a reality where they're sitting saying, I don't like where I am right at the moment. COVID had a spiritual attachment to it. I'm amazed at how it's influenced so many people. Everything that's happened over the last 12 months has been consequential. And there are a lot of people who are living in a space where they're sitting saying, the challenge for me right at the moment is I have no hope. I can't see where we're going. My life feels turned upside down. It's in topsy-turvy. I don't have any sense of purpose or meaning anymore. Everything seems inconsequential. My life's not at a pace where I'm able to sit and say, I can see tomorrow and I want to be a part of that stuff. I've lost hope. I'm living in a paradigm. I'm living in a reality without hope. I need to get together with him. 
Because when I get together with him, he's going to speak into my life. And when he begins to speak, he's going to speak and offer me a new paradigm. He's either going to take where I am and expand it. He is one of the, the, the biggest proponents of, of boundary extensions. God is into boundary extensions. He likes to expand, extend the boundaries of your life. And there are some times where you're caught in some stuff that's so rotten that God says, you know what? Don't try and fix it. Here is a new reality. What I'm inviting you into is to step out of that paradigm and to step into something new. Step into something that's defined by me. It becomes so important for us to recognize the fact that God is wanting to do some stuff in our life. God is wanting to change us. God is wanting to have significant influence in our life. Oh, I'm a bit... Everyway, just give me a minute here. Well, thank you, Rafa. Thank you. God is always the source of life. Understand this. Every time that you have an interaction with God, he's going to do something that is life-changing. Why? Because life is who he is. And any time there is darkness, any time there is depression, every time there's sickness, any time there's disease, any time there's negativity, any time there's discouragement, he's what he's sitting saying is none of that personifies, none of that is representative of my nature and who I am. And so what I'm extending to you is an opportunity to shift the reality of your life, to shift the paradigm that you're living from so that you can move into something new, something's of my nature. God is into reality creation. When he created man, he spoke and he set in place realities that were defined by blessing and power. The thing about God is, God's not only into creating realities. God is, God's disposition is to actually fill and to populate those realities with part of who he is. He is a creative God. God is not only about creating the reality, but it's about affecting everything that constitutes and fills the space of your reality. God uses words to give form to faith. God uses words to give form to faith. When God speaks, What God is doing is, God is taking of his reality that's inside of who he is. And what he's saying is, I'm using speech as a mechanism. I'm using it as the opportunity to take something that is of who I am, which is spiritual in nature, and create something which is natural. I'm taking something which I want to create, and I'm taking the essence, which is who I am, I'm using a vehicle called words and I'm looking for it to take form in a reality. That's what God does. That's why through creation when God says, light be, what was he doing? He was using words to give form to his faith. It becomes important for us because God is setting precedents and principles for how he's looking for us to operate. I don't know how it's possible to be a born-again believer and have the life of God on the inside of you if we don't live in the expectation of the miraculous. 
how can we not live in the expectation of the supernatural? God is a supernatural God. And when you touch or deal with the things of God, you are touching and dealing, you are playing in the supernatural. When you play in the supernatural, you should expect the supernatural. This should not be rocket science. One of the fundamentals of Christianity is what? Let's live a life of prayer. Who prays not expecting God to do something? Tell me one Christian, I don't care about your denomination, who says, I pray, but I really don't expect God to do it. Why do we pray? Because I'm trapped in a reality and I can't get myself out of it. There's some stuff happening in my reality that I can't deal with. And the reason that I'm praying is because I'm looking for the God of the supernatural. I'm looking for the God of the miraculous to come into that space and to do something that I can't do. Anytime God does something, he's doing it through the miraculous. He's doing it through the supernatural. It doesn't mean it has to be the spectacular. If it doesn't arrive with thunder and lightning, doesn't mean it's not God. He wants to do some stuff in your life. God lives from the perspective of when he looks at realities, his, what God's words don't come from his reality. His reality comes from his words. God's environment are not the source of his words. His words are the source of his environments. He wants us introduced to that principle. What he's saying is, as a human being, I gave you something that no other creation has. You have the ability to speak. There is no other part of creation that can speak. Our ability to be able to articulate, to have words, to use language, to be able to speak into situations. It's not by accident. There is tension behind it. And it's more than just simply expressing ideas. It has to do with moving mountains. It's consequential. God is doing some Stuff in our life and introducing us to the paradigm that he begins to live by. The way that he wants to work and the way that he wants to operate. And he wants for us to recognize that he sets in place certain things. And his invitation to us is to move into that space so that we operate and we live by who he is. Sometimes the challenge that we have is we want God to affect our situations. What we're doing is we're praying for God to do something in our situations and God's sitting saying, I have a different way of working. I have a different way of dealing with these things. Because, uh, let me, yeah, let's, let's go there. Um, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3. Where was I? Where are my notes? Hebrews 11 verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Do you know what it's saying to us? There are two important points that I want to make out of this. The one thing is this. God uses words to create. God is going to move you to a place where you understand that, and as a born-again believer, he's looking for us to participate in that in the same way. And I'm going to lead into that in a minute. 
God is a firm believer in the fact that words shift environments. Words are a creative force. The second thing that I want you to recognize that comes out of the scripture is this. Everything that was created was created by stuff which came from words of faith. It wasn't created by things that are natural. The reason it becomes important is this. If that is what parented it, if that's what was responsible for bringing it into being, it means that it's responsive to words of faith. If words of faith created substance, if words of faith created realities, those realities are subject to words of faith. So it becomes important. Can I hold on to those two points? So Eve is in the garden, and she's walking along in the garden, and she's living from a paradigm. She's living from a reality that was created by God. She's living from a place where she's experiencing God's blessing. She's living from a place where she's recognizing and realizing that she is called to reign and to rule. She's realizing the empowerment that she has as a result of the reality that God has established her to live from. And she's living in that place and she's walking in that place and she's living life from that place and she's happy in that place. And all of a sudden she makes the mistake of walking past the apple tree. It's not really an apple tree, but. And she gets there, and Satan says, Let me have a word with you. And what does it say? It says, And Satan said. What did he do? He used words, and he began to speak to her. And he said to her, This paraphrased. I know that you're in this garden and I know that you're enjoying your time here. But let me ask you something. Tell me a little bit about that tree that's sitting over there. And she says, well, you know, my paradigm that I live from, paradigm I'm happy in, is that we just don't touch that because God told us not to. But we're living fully and fruitfully and abundantly and prosperously out of this place. And he says, I know that God told you about that. And what God said to you was that if you eat of it, you'll truly die. But I'll tell you what, actually the reason that he told you that was because if you eat of that fruit, you will become like him. Satan was speaking and talking to her. What was he doing? He was presenting to her a reality that was created by his words. He created a reality by speaking to her. And she had to make a choice at that point about, do I stay grounded in the reality in which I find myself? Do I stay in the reality which God presented to me and and stuck me in? Or do I make a decision to embrace something else, a new reality to live by? And we all know what she did. And when she did that, she was unfaithful to God. There are a lot of different places that define our life. I like to socialize with other people. And we have fun together and we enjoy it. I'll go and help somebody do this or that, I'll spend, expend my time and my energy. I like having conversation with people. I'll let you into that space. But there is a space that is reserved for Sarah and me. It's called my heart. I can give you other stuff, but you don't get that. 
That defines the life between the two of us. And what happens in that space is exclusive to the two of us. Not to be shared by anybody else. It defines what we call our relationship between one another. There is an intimacy that is developed because of the exclusivity of that space. Do you know that as a born-again believer, New Testament speaks about you being the bride of Christ? The church is the bride of Christ. If you're born again, you are part of the church. What is he saying? He's saying there is a space that exists between you and me called our heart. That space belongs to me. Hold on to that space. Guard that space. Treasure that space. Because it defines the nature of the relationship that exists between us. It existed between Eve and God. And what she did was she was unfaithful. And she stepped out of one reality into another. And what she did is she opened her heart. And when she did that, she conceived something that was not of him. She conceived something that was not fathered by God. It was not of his seed. It was not of his nature. It was not of who he was. And she had something in a space that was exclusively dedicated and committed to God. It was not of him. We say that when we do our marriage vows. Forsaking all others to love, honor, and obey. What is God's first commandment? Love me with all your heart. It's my space. It's my space. But she conceived. And the problem with it is what she ended up doing was she birthed something. It was a lie. And she began to live a reality that wasn't true. The thing is, the moment she stepped from the reality that God had created for her, and she stepped into the reality that Satan invited her into, immediately her eyes were opened. And she suddenly said, what have I done? Where did she get that? What happened? Because in the space of that reality, there was a redefinition that took place. Suddenly, I never had those things which were of God to define who I was. And she had a look at herself, and she was like, I don't like what I see. I feel vulnerable. I'm afraid. I don't feel as though I'm worthy. I don't feel as though I'm capable. And so what did she do? She ended up hiding herself. She stepped out of God's reality into another reality. As born-again believers, understand this. We live under a new covenant. What's so fabulous about the new covenant is that Jesus defeated sin and death. Satan is a conquered foe. But listen, the thing is, he goes around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He has no power, but you do. And if I can come to you and I can use my words and I can tempt you with a reality, you will use your beliefs to step into it and it'll change your life. He hasn't got power over your life. You do. But if you sit and say, I'll buy the reality and you step into what he's presented to you, you will step into that which will steal, kill and destroy from you. He goes around as, a, as, a, as a, a, a lion looking at to whom he can devour. 
We don't always recognize it. But paradigms come in so many different ways. People don't recognize you because you're so gifted and you're so anointed and you don't have as much prominence at this church as you should have. You should just leave here. What happens? I bought something and I stepped into a reality called offense. And all of a sudden it was like, I'm not going to stay in that place. What happened? I bought a lie. Something wasn't true. But when I stepped into the paradigm, it changed the direction and the course of my life. He goes around seeking whom he may devour. The result of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve's uh, infidelity, resulted in loss of access to the garden. And they put themselves at a place where they were no longer able to hear the voice of God. All they had in that space to live from were weeds and thorns and stony ground. The things that began to define their realities had shifted. But I've got good news for you. We have, Adam and Eve may have put us at a place where we lost access to the garden, where we lost access to relationship, where we lost access to the ability for God to take the things of Him and to put them into our lives. But thank God for Jesus. Jesus came back on a mission. And you know what his mission was? I'm inviting you back into the garden. God, Jesus' point was to sit and say, you can't live off thorns and weeds and rocky spaces. You want to know why your life looks like it does? It's because you don't have relationship with me anymore. You no longer have the ability to hear the voice of God. You're no longer at a place where he can make deposits into your life which are transformational. I'm inviting you back into the garden. I want you to come back into that space because when you hear his voice, his voice is going to speak to you and create realities for you that can get you out of your mess, that can get you out of your poverty, that can get you out of your paradigms, that can get you out of your weakness, that will get you out of your sickness, that will offer you the opportunity to step into something new. To step into something that is of him. I want to make sure I don't miss my scriptures here. There was a couple I wanted to tell you. How does God work practically? Understand this. Anything that happens in our life that moves us to a place of victory and overcoming is not as a result of the things I've done. It's as a result of who he is. You can go through life and you can grow your skill set And it'll help you in life. And we should do that as Christians. We've spoken about this. The importance and the value of growing your skill set. Understand and develop an appreciation for the world in which we find ourselves. Grow in certain things. Grow in abilities. Grow in understanding. And all of those things will give you what is necessary to be able to go through life to some other degree relatively successfully. 
But if you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to journey with God, if you want to have a more exciting life where he opens you to possibilities and dimensions that you've never experienced before, if you would like his participation and his intervention in your life, there is a way that God works. And so at a practical level, I want to speak about that now. If you won't turn to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, it says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. There are a couple of things about this. What God is saying is, I'm king of kings and lord of lords. Okay? It's like, I have all victory, all power, all authority is given unto me. That's where it rests. If you're looking for influence in a situation, if you're looking for God's contribution into a situation, I can tell you now, there is nothing that has any kind of influence over God that he's not able to change instantaneously. He is all-powerful. But he says, so that's the one thing. Recognize what we need in our life to be able to experience God is we need him. Okay? We need him. Secondly, he says the way that we do that is through something called faith. We've spoken a little bit about this, but basically faith is important because faith is something that is of God, it's not of me. What God is saying is I'm going to give you a part of who I am because if I invest that part in who you are and you get yourself established in that reality and you live from that place, you will be amazed what comes out of your mouth and you'll be amazed what happens from that. It's not because you did anything, but it was because we lived our life from the paradigm of what was established on the inside of us. It introduces us to something new. If we understand the value that Everything that moves us to a position of wholeness, completion, abundance, blessing, and power comes from God. It means that anything that is happening in my life right at the moment that is not of him, he can't use. So important principle number one is this. God makes all things new. I've spoken a bit about that over the last few weeks. It becomes really important for us because what it begins to do is it shows us that You can't do anything to create God's faith. It's not about what you what you get going. It's not about how enthusiastic you are. It's not about anything that you're able to put together. What it's about is you're receiving something from him. He's going to take whatever exists there. He's not trying to modify it. He's not trying to make it better. What he's saying is, I'm going to give you something new, which is of me. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. What it's saying is, what he does for me and what he's given to me is transformational and will change me. But it comes from him. It's of him. It's recognizing that. Here's the good news. The good news is, God is into gifting. God is into gifting. He loves giving you stuff. And you know how he's going to do that? Through his word. He has a mechanism. God has the most effective mechanism for wealth transfer. It's called words. When you get together with God, what ends up happening is God is going to speak to you. 
And when God speaks to you, what ends up happening is it touches my head and it touches my heart. It gives me understanding and it gives me revelation. It gives me something up here, which gives me a paradigm and a perspective. It gives me opportunities to be able to feed my imagination as to what God wants to do. But at the same time, it empowers me down here because it gives me what I need. It instills within me the compassion to become a person of compassion. It instills within me the trust and the confidence. It gives me who I am when I began to understand who I am in him, and it changes my paradigm of who I am and how I feel about myself. Those are gifts given to me by him. And he uses words to do it. He speaks it into existence. Ah, I'm a bit everywhere today, sorry. He uses words to do it. The thing about it that's so important is to understand that when we talk about wealth transfer, how does God actually do that? We have to get to a place where we are intimate with him, where we spend time with him. You know what the wonderful thing is about a gift? Is that it's something that you get that somebody's given to you whether you deserve it or not. That's what's so wonderful about it. Now, when you take something that is of value that is given to you by God and you place that in your life and you begin to live from that space. It's called living by grace. Do you know what I'm living by? I'm living by the gift, the value that he has given me and that's on the inside of who I am. He's going to redefine you. If you go back to the example, if you're a person and God, you know that God wants you to live from a space of righteousness, you can't feel righteous. Try Outside of God, you never can. But he gives you a gift. The gift he gives you is the feeling. It's the feeling that all things have been washed away. All my sin has been paid for. Everything that I need to move to a space where I can stand in his presence with confidence is given to me as a gift. And when I live from that space and I feel from that space and I decide from that space and I experience my feelings from that space, I'm living by grace. I'm living by something that he gave me I could never get by myself. And I enjoy that space. I'm living by grace. I'm living by what he's given me. God is into gifting. The thing about it is gifting only happens in the cool of the evening. Nothing of consequence happens in our Christianity if we don't value and make time for the cool of the evening. The cool of the evening is when Adam and Eve spent time with him. It's more than Bible study. It's more than reading your Bible. It's more than coming to church. It's more than listening to downloads. The cool of the evening is that space where you get together with him and you hear his voice. The most important part of our Christianity is our relationship with God. Our ability to be able to hear his voice. Because Romans 10.17 says, the things that are mine the value that I have that I'm looking to transfer comes by hearing, and the word used there is rhema. What it's saying is it comes by hearing my voice. 
Not reading about it. Hearing my voice. It's in the cool of the evening when he and I get together where he can speak to me and he can say some stuff to me. But what he tells me resonates with confidence and power and trust. I don't get that from reading it. I only get it out of relationship. If school closes early and they say, I just want to let you know, kids, We're closing early, but we've notified your parents and they'll be coming to collect you. They know what's supposed to be happening. They understand what's supposed to be happening. But they don't have the same sense of confidence as when I say to them, I will be there at 12 o'clock to collect you. It changes everything. Because when I speak, what I'm happening is I'm a voice of authority that they trust. When God speaks into your life, it's a voice of authority that you can trust. And when he tells you something, I don't care what's happening around me. I don't care what things look like. I don't care about the circumstance and the situation. This is what he told me. You only get it in the cool of the evening. But when you have something from him, he looks for you to live from that space. When he gives you something that's of his, he looks for you to live from that space. And what he says is, let's turn to Luke chapter 6. Verse 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is in our heart that defines us, we're going to live from. And it's going to find its way into our environment every time we open our mouth. It's coming out. Words are powerful, not because of their exclusivity, but because of what they carry. The reason words are powerful is because they carry within them belief. Words are powerful because when you are grounded in the substance of God in your heart and you speak that forward, what ends up happening is the words carry the belief. That's what they're carrying. That is the power for transformation. It's not the words. Something that may be helpful. This is for nobody here because we all, we're spiritual giants, right? <laughs> part of the challenge and part of the frustration that so many people have is that they pray from their head, not their heart. You can pray from your head because I know who God is and I've been taught what God's about and I know that he loves me and I know he wants for me and I know he wants to provide for me and I know he wants to care for me. I know all of this stuff. I'm praying from my head. The problem with it is it's not established in my heart. The problem with it is I've never got into the cool of the evening and spent time with him and listened to him and let him speak to me and sit and say, I'm into wealth transfer. I'll tell you what, come here. I want to share something with you. You know what? By the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. What? What did you say? (laughs) Say it again. Yes, I want you healed. You see, when you hear that from him, it doesn't matter how many times you read it, it'll never affect you the same way. But when he imparts something to you, when he gives you a gift, 
and it's in your life. It's established in your heart and you begin to speak from that space. What ends up happening is what I'm releasing into my world, what I'm releasing into my reality, what I'm releasing into my paradigm is not of me, it's of him. How did God create? With words. What is he saying? I want you to model the way I did things. Words are powerful if they come from our heart, not if they come from our head. Just because you're speaking doesn't make it powerful. People can tell you math formulas. People can tell you information. It all comes from your head. It doesn't come from your heart. It's when prayer comes from our heart, from that which is established on the inside of us, that there's power. That's where the confidence comes from when you pray for something and you sit and say, I know it's happened. But you don't understand. I do. But you can't see it. It doesn't matter. Trust me. My confidence is not in what I'm seeing. My confidence is not in the paradigm. My confidence is in the gift. You can't see it, but I know it. It's in the gift. God's promises only come to fruition when we vocalize it. God's promises and God's gifts are voice activated. They will live within you. They will be within you. They'll be very real within you. But if you ever want to release them, you've got to use your mouth. That's how God operates. And that's how he looks for us to operate. Which gets all the way around to, when you're looking for God to work in your situation, understand how he wants to work. We're looking to pray for God to do something over there. And God's sitting saying, I'm waiting for you to come to me so I can put something in your heart. If you want to change your circumstance, if you want to change your marriage, if you want to raise better kids, if you want to be more successful in business, if you want to do something for me out in the world, come to me. Stop asking me to do things when I'm looking to deposit something inside of you. That's not how he works. He didn't create us that way. Does it mean that God can't do that stuff? God is a merciful God. He can do whatever he likes. But it's not his lifestyle that he's looking for. There will, become, there will come a time in our Christianity where you're going to get kicked out of the nest. Because God, when we first meet him, is so gracious and loving. You just sneeze and things happen. And one day you sneeze and cough and nothing happens. And you think, what happened? You've just been kicked out of the nest. What he's saying is, I've done a whole bunch for you because I want you to know how much I love you and I want you to experience my love for you. But now I'm inviting you into intimacy because things are going to come out of intimacy. I'll meet you in the cool of the evening. The reason things change in our lives is because, Matt, because of Mark eleven twenty three. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, open your mouth. Promises, gifts, voice activated. Be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. You, we spoke about this in the last few weeks. You can only have one thing on the throne of your heart. Okay, You, you can't believe God loves me and he hates me at the same time. It's not possible. You can only believe one thing. Both, fee, both faith and doubt are belief issues. They're not head issues. It's not about knowledge. It has to do with confidence and trust. 
And so it becomes a little bit of a perplexing thing because when you read this, what it's, your, your initial takeout is, okay, well, God's saying, I need to believe, but I mustn't trust. And so I'm trying to cover two bases at the same time. Say, this is Gavin's interpretation. I'll tell you what I believe he's saying here. If you want to believe differently, it's okay. Say, glory be, we're all independent and we can live and believe the way we want. I believe what he's saying is this. If you believe in your heart, the belief that you have will take the place of doubt. And it won't be consequential to you. Only one thing can survive there at a time. The reason that he points out the issue of doubt is because what he's saying is, I want you to understand, if we talk about belief, belief has many characteristics and facets. The thing is, I'm particularly focusing in on the issue of doubt. You can talk about where you get belief from, how belief comes into play, how belief influences things, how belief is motivated. You can talk about a whole bunch of different things to do with belief. What he's saying is, I'm talking specifically about the issue of doubt because he wants us to know that if doubt is resident in us, the way that the antidote to doubt is belief. If you get belief in, it'll drive out doubt. Let me give you an analogy that may be helpful. It's kind of like saying this. If you drive according to the rules of the road and you don't speed, you'll be safe. Well, if you drive according to the rules of the road, by default you cannot speed because then you're not driving to the rules of the road. The point is, what he's trying to say is, he's specifically pointing out an aspect of driving to the rules of the road, which is speeding. He could be talking about taking your hands off the wheel, speaking on your cell phone, which none of us do. He could be talking about driving under the influence. There are a whole bunch of things that go with it. I think what he's saying is, I'm drawing your attention to the fact that when we talk about belief, belief is the antidote to doubt. And when you get a gift from me, what ends up happening is the only way to get rid of your doubt is through gifting. But when you have a gift, it gives you the ability to be able to speak. And when you speak, live in the expectation of things happening. The most important place we can ever get to with God is spending time in the cool of the evening. If there's one thing you leave with today is every day remember the value of the cool of the evening. When you get with him in the cool of the evening, he's going to share with you who he is and what he's about and what his purpose is, what his design is, and how much he loves you, how much he wants to bless you, how he's all-powerful, how he can transform things, how he can change your life, how he wants to introduce new paradigms to you, how he wants you to walk into the fullness of who he is and what he's all about. And what he's saying is, now, would you like to know some more? Every time he speaks and imparts something to us, it is so powerful, it is a gift that is transformation because anything that is taking up habitation in that space that shouldn't be there, he's sitting saying, I'm reclaiming that place that is mine. Once again, I'm cleaning out the holy of holies, the most sacred place because the author and the finisher, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega is coming once again to take up residence. Everything that is of him that gets put into that space will change our lives. He's so good. And it doesn't matter what you do. The fact of the matter is, 
you don't do, you don't do anything to deserve it. He gives it to you because he loves you. Grace. The great gifting idea. Can we all stand, please? You may find yourself today sitting in a paradigm or a reality and you know it's not God's design for you. You may be struggling with some stuff in that place and you be, may be saying, you know what, I, I just know this is not what God has for me and this is not what God wants for me. But you don't know how to get out of it. You need a gift. You need a gift. You need him to come into that situation and touch it and change it and transform it in a way that you can't do. As we close the service, what I want to do is this. If you find yourself in one of those situations... He wants to speak to you. And he wants to speak words of love and words of life into your situation and transform it. If you would like prayer for something, I want to invite you to come up so people can pray with you and so that God can touch you and you can step out of one reality and into another. Father, I just want to thank you that you're just such a good, loving God. I thank you that every time we have moments where we are intimate with you, time that we set apart to be with you, I just want to thank you that in that space you touch us. I thank you for the power of your words. Set realities in motion. Give form to your design. Pray, Holy Spirit, that this week you will meet with each person here in a profound way. I thank you for gifting, for taking of who you are and depositing it into our lives. You do things that we cannot do for ourselves. And we bless you for it. We thank you for lives that are full and rich. Lives that are blessed and whole. We thank you for people who are so alive with the gifts within them that we become living testimonies to the world. bless you for all of your goodness in Jesus name